So we had a wonderful conversation with Charles L. Kyer in this upcoming episode, our second episode, our first guest. And we're going to just kind of reflect on the episode a little bit as an introduction into it. Sound good? Sounds good. Yeah, the topic was imposter syndrome. Yes. Why did we choose that? Why did we choose imposter syndrome? So um, in your, when you were looking into it, what you found, um, right, was that it's a lot of times people that are considered experts in their field that experience this imposter syndrome. And so you, me, Charles have all experienced this. And Charles, um, more recently, because as a massage therapist of 14 years, he um, just started teaching massage. So he's been, um, he's had his massage practice. He's been, he's very experienced in that part of his his uh, massage expertise, but he only just started teaching. And so that has brought up for him a lot of questions around whether or not, you know, does he really, do I really know what I'm doing here? Um, because teaching is very different than actually practicing the thing. So that's why we brought him on as a guest. Um, it's a difficult thing to talk about too. Uh, mm -hmm. being vulnerable and sharing some feelings and emotions around that you don't feel like you belong, mm -hmm. um, that you have voices in your head that tell you things around that. And I think that's another reason that we wanted to talk about it and provide space to make it safe to talk about because yeah. it's all things that at least three of us have felt mm -hmm. um, and talk about why that is and, and what triggers those things. And then also, you know, strategies and questions to ask ourselves when we're in that space to maybe shift out of that space. Yes, yes. Um, so one of, the, one of the things that we talk about in there is this idea of inner critic. And you'll see a couple of links, a link to a article that we talk about um, throughout the episode, as well as a link to a TEDx talk that we talked about in there throughout the episode. Um, one of the questions being, how does imposter syndrome show up in your life? So these are some things that maybe you can think about as you're navigating what this looks like for you in your life. How does that show up? Um, what makes you think you're a fraud? That is one of the questions directly from the article that we share. Um, what are some other? Yeah. And it's okay to think that you're a fraud at times. I think that's mm -hmm. the point is mm -hmm. to be comfortable with that feeling and to understand where it's coming from and why it's coming from that. Um, and then just to hold that conflict, right. To say, what are the, what's the evidence that, that you're not, mm -hmm. um, and to write that down and to express that, to potentially share that with other folks. Mm -hmm as a way to get through that, as a way to process that. Yeah. Um, what triggers it? What is that feeling like? When and where do you feel that? That's one side of the conflict, mm -hmm. I think. The other piece then is, what are all the reasons you're not? Mm -hmm. What's the evidence and reasons that you're not? Who might you bring in to give you other perspective about it? 
Yes. So that both of those come at it and then you can have, that's that conflict that you're having in your mind. Mm -hmm. Too often, I think we spend, I spend too much time in the negative. Or mm -hmm. Historically, I've spent too much time in the negative and have let that inner critic kind of do its thing. Yeah. Without the pushback of here's all of the evidence and the reasons why. I think it's easy to get caught up into that negative. Um, and that impacts then your performance, mm -hmm. impacts even your willingness to do the thing. Right. Yeah. To actually initiate action. Um, it's that fear, that fear, right? The, there's this idea of uh, fight, flight, and freeze. And in that, fear sometimes rather than running away from the thing or rather than fighting the thing we actually just don't do anything at all um and so then asking questions around that then also as we were just talking about what's the evidence against that imposter syndrome or even embracing that that imposter syndrome is always there that inner critic is always there um, and then uh, the other part of it is that support. So who is supporting you? Who is um, validating the expertise that you have? Finding those spaces where you can feel validated. Certainly um, some of, I think, our imposter syndrome can push us to, and, I, and you mentioned this in the episode, can push us to do something about it in terms of um, uh, maybe edu you know, maybe we do need a little bit more education in an area. Maybe we do need to practice. Um, I, I talk about kindness in the episode. Maybe we do need um, to practice kindness so that we can feel that we are not an imposter, not let that imposter kind of take over um, who we are. Um, but ultimately, yeah, I think asking yourself questions, finding, finding support, finding validation, and then continuing to grow and move from there. Yeah. Um, a shift to the positive. So spending more time in that positive mm -hmm. mindset, um, you know, asking yourself questions about what if everything works out, yes. what's the positive experience yeah. there? What are the times in which you've gotten positive feedback? Uh, one of the things that I did not too long ago was just kind of ask for feedback, collect it and capture it and then have it out there, mm -hmm. right? So you can review it when you're low or not feeling good enough mm -hmm. or questioning yourself. Uh, go back to some quotes or some testimonials or thank you cards or mm -hmm. all of the things that you've done to that point. I think it's too easy to forget about those things in the moment. Um, for me, having something tangible um, where other people have given feedback on something gets me at least outside of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That mindset. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, and then I think just one more little reflection as an intro into the episode is there is a moment where, um, and this is kind of a little insight into. Uh, how do we decide when to speak, when to, as hosts, right? When right. to speak, when to ask questions, when to allow the guest to speak, this being our first guest. 
And one of the things that Charles mentions in there is this imposter syndrome around being a good friend. And I kept quiet in that moment just to allow him to continue to speak, continue to reflect. But as I look back on that moment, I do want to acknowledge that Charles is an excellent friend. <laughs> and and uh, had I not been in such that, that deep listening mode, I might have jumped in and said, hey, for the record, you are a really good friend. So just want to acknowledge that as we um, kind of leave you again with those questions, leave you with those possible actions to practice um, working and moving in that more positive space around who you are and what you do, whatever that is. And anything else that you want to... Thanks for listening. Thanks for participating. We'd love to hear your thoughts um, and how this applies to you or not and strategies that you use um, to shift mindset in this space. We certainly don't have it all figured out. Mm -hmm. We're, we're um, sharing, sharing thoughts and sharing stories on this um, and kind of learning as we go. So super curious about how and when you feel this and what has been successful for you to shift out of it. Yes, please do share. Thank you for listening, and I we hope that you enjoy the episode. Yeah. Welcome to That's Deep with Eden and Jess. Um, today we're talking about imposter syndrome, and we have our guest, here, Charles Elkire, who will be uh, sort of answering questions, leading the conversation a little bit on that subject, as you have had some experience recently in, um, in your field of work. So Charles is a massage therapist. He is also a massage teacher. How do you call it? How do you what is it called? What are you called? My title is adjunct instructor. Adjunct instructor. Hmm. That's a mouthful. At um, Fox Valley Technical College here in Appleton, Wisconsin. It's in Appleton, right? It's not Grand Chute. Um, so he's been. It's all the same. Yeah. <laughs> he's been administering massage for, I'm trying to think of words, for what, 13 years? 14. 14 years. Yeah, 14. And um, has been teaching only for a few months. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, um, yeah, I guess we can jump right into... Welcome, Charles. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so um, let's kind of, I guess, talk about imposter syndrome. How would you how would you define it? I would define imposter syndrome as that <clears throat> little voice in your head that is telling you that uh, you're not good enough, your qualifications aren't enough. Uh, you don't deserve this. Um, in 
many, many aspects of your life, be that career, your relationships. Uh, it's just that voice in the back of your head that is talking yourself down, even though you might be qualified or you might be, you know, whatever it is, you might be, um, you know what you're talking about, but in the back of your head, uh, it's, it's just like a nervous sort of thing that is telling you that you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, I think that's an excellent definition um, and an excellent way to describe imposter syndrome. So I think that probably a lot of us experience that when we are trying something new, right? That, um, that maybe we're not as experienced at, so we don't necessarily know um, 100% what we're doing, even if we know the material. So maybe you can talk about your, your sort of transition into this no, new role as a adjunct instructor. And how it pertains to imposter syndrome? Or just in general? Just oh, okay. Um, uh, when I transitioned from uh, just doing uh, massage into the adjunct role, it was, um, it was kind of my plan B, something I thought about doing once, um, once I got a little bit further into my massage career, because massage is a very physical job. You you can't do it for you know a long time just because it is a physical job. Your body will wear out eventually. So uh, I really I love what I do, and I thought, well, how can I how can I maybe uh, extend my career a little bit longer? Uh, still do something with massage, but maybe make it a little bit easier on myself. Uh, teaching was one thing that I had thought of, and this this opportunity out, out at Fox Valley Technical College just came up and I decided to give it a try and pursue it. And it's, it's turned out great so far. Um, I really like the students. I really like teaching. Um, but um, yeah, it always, just all, all those thoughts about self-doubt seem to creep in anyway, even though it's, it's material that I've been dealing with for 14 years. Um, you st I still kind of doubt myself at times. Um, do you think there's, I mean, there, yeah, I'll just ask that. Do you think there's a kind of a difference between practicing massage as a massage therapist, right, on people and teaching that sort of brings up some of those, some of those doubts? Uh, yes, yes, very much so. Um, the students are very, very inquisitive. They, you know, they have a lot of questions for you. Uh, massage is a very broad field. There are a lot of different ways you can go with it. Uh, just uh, very, very lightly, you can get into energy work. You can focus your work in on like spa work. You can focus in on like more of like sports massage or deep tissue massage, stuff like that. Uh, obviously, I have my own specialties that I, that I am, um, better equated with. Uh, and the students are asking all sorts of questions because when you're dealing with 15 different people, uh, they don't all have the same interest. You know, they have, you know, some of them want to go into more like physical therapy roles. Some of them want to do spa stuff. And 
some of the questions that they're asking me, I don't, I don't want to say I don't know the answer to, but I don't know the best answer to it. Uh, right. I can, I can direct them in certain ways. I can uh, give, share my knowledge with them, but, you know, somebody else in the massage field uh, that has a different focus than what I do might be better equipped to answer that question for them. And that's what I try to tell them. Mm -hmm. Or if I don't know an answer to something, I will try to find it for them. Mm -hmm. I think that's a great strategy. Yeah. I think oftentimes we get stuck in wanting or needing to know everything, especially if we don't have experience teaching or it's our first time teaching or interacting with students. So we try to over-prepare and find the answers to everything, which you can't. Yeah. Or we try to make something up on the spot. Um, but being comfortable enough to say, I'm not sure, I don't know, I'll look it up and get back to you, mm -hmm. I think is a huge um, just self-awareness and self-confidence to be able to say, I don't know that mm -hmm. best answer to that question. Yeah, I, I agree. When I, I know when I first started teaching yoga, that was one of the things that they emphasized to us is that, you know, because you're in this sort of authoritative role and you're dealing with people's bodies, they're going to think that you have all of the answers to the right. questions. Right. And um, my dad, who's a personal fitness trainer and self-defense instructor has the same, you know, we've, we've had this conversation too, where it's like, you know, we're, we don't know everything. And so, yeah, to be able to say, um, oh, I don't know what that is, especially if somebody tells me, oh, I have such and such a thing. Right. And I'm like, I don't know what that word is. <laughs> so just being able to be more and more comfortable saying that. And people appreciate that. Yeah. I think yeah, people I think appreciate so. that you're not just BSing, that you're not just saying, um, or pretending that you know something that you don't. And definitely when it comes to body work stuff, that you're not giving them misinformation um, is, is so important. Um, so one of, the, one of the things that we did in preparation for this show was um, read an article on imposter syndrome. Do you remember what the and we'll link that article in the in the um whatever platform we put it on. <laughs> we'll link it in the episode uh in the um it'll be in the show notes in the notes thank you <laughs> we will link it in the notes um but we read this article that asked some questions around um imposter syndrome and if you happen to remember yeah, so it's psychology today, uh, four deep and lasting ways to alleviate imposter syndrome is the name of the article. Yeah. Um, so maybe we can jump into some of the, those questions, unless you want to just start with, unless you have other questions that are better to start. Yeah, I'd love to hear more about kind of, you talked about that inner voice. Um, you know, when did you feel that? Were there times throughout kind of that first semester of teaching or as you were preparing or the night before 
class or on your way to class? Were there times when it was louder? Um, what was what were triggers for that? And then maybe how you alleviated some of that? Did you have strategies? Are you working through some of those strategies? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I think uh, the most, the most, the the loudest the voices got was probably the first first few weeks. I'd say probably the first three or four weeks. I heard them the loudest. Um, the massage program that they have there, uh, the first couple weeks is a lot of dealing with. It's a lot of book work. It's a lot of um, you know ethics and teaching about the history of massage. I do know that stuff, but it's not something that I I deal with every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, besides the ethics part, um, the like the history of massage and knowing dates and times and uh, things like that. I I really I haven't looked at it for probably fourteen years. You're not giving your clients a. Yeah. Not, not a history lesson in massage. So uh, teaching the stuff that I was probably least familiar with and hadn't reviewed in like uh, over a decade was probably the times when the voices got loudest in my head uh, just because I wasn't as familiar with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what I would do is I found myself, uh, as you had mentioned, somewhat over preparing for class. And I was spending, you know, probably the class is five hours long. Um, I probably spent a good two days uh, on and off preparing for class, probably about a good 10 hours of my free time, just getting ready for this class, like, you know, filling out note cards, trying to, um, figure out how the structure of the class is going to go. And uh, when I, the the closer I got to class, the worse the voices in my head got. Uh, Just uh, like some some examples of what was going on in my head was like, oh, I was hearing like, you don't know what you're talking about. You know, you're not familiar with this stuff. You know, what if they ask me a question that I don't know about? How are you going to keep them interested? You know, this is a class that starts at eight o'clock in the morning and goes until one. Um, how are you going to keep them engaged? You know, what if they're bored? Uh, what What do I do in all these situations? You just like scare yourself yeah. into this this little corner, and you're just like, "What do I do? I have no idea. I've I've never done this before." Uh, there wasn't. You know, I, I was never trained to be a, a teacher or instructor, um, so I, I didn't have any like teaching strategies uh, or anything like that to go by. It was just like, OK, here's the material and I'll just present it. All right, here we go. <laughs> so I just went in that first day and I just followed what I had somewhat laid out on note cards. I had note cards, but I was just like sweating <laughs> profusely throughout the whole class. Um, I was just like so nervous. And uh, I know I mentioned this to you that I would, I'd get about halfway through the day uh, to, to like about noon or so. And then my voice would just go. I would almost completely lose my voice. Uh, and I thought, oh, I'm not drinking enough or something. 
but it, it wasn't, it was just nerves. And I would like almost completely lose my voice. So it was, it was that nervousness uh, going on in my head and also showing up in a physical form. Um, I uh, probably after week four, I got over that. Um, and oh, I think we'd had a, we have a, another mutual friend who's a, also a massage therapist, Catherine, and she, I think probably helped you through some of the, right. some of the teaching strategies so that you didn't feel that you, <laughs> you had to talk so much that right. you could ask more questions of the students and make them yeah. talk. Make them that talk more. And that, yeah, it really, really did. And uh, that also helped with, that was one of the strategies uh, for the imposter syndrome that I ended up using was having the students talk a little bit and having them figure it out um, a little bit more rather than just me like showing them or just telling them about something. Uh, also, I've read that that facilitates learning a lot better when the students are figuring out their own stuff rather than just you showing them here how this is done or here's this and that's it. So Eden, you probably have some experience with that as well in facilitating workshops and um, maybe you can speak to a little bit your, your experience that first time that you led a workshop and um, did you use some of those strategies of asking questions so that you didn't have that situation where you, um, you know, were just talking at people or did yeah. you have to kind of learn that? Yeah. Uh, facilitating workshops, collaborative workshops, there's opportunity to get people involved. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a reason that I like them so much. Mm -hmm. It's not me talking for eight hours at a time. Right. It is me setting it up providing a hands-on activity or experience and getting others to build on those ideas. Mm -hmm. I'm much more comfortable in that environment than I would be if it was public speaking or if it was something where I was the one that all of the attention was on. Mm -hmm. So that strategy I think is huge. Even in public speaking, there's an opportunity to engage with audience, a strategy to engage with audience early or show a clip of a video. Uh, that gives you a chance to kind of catch your breath, take a drink of water, tell yourself that you made it through yeah. that first piece <laughs> and that you're still on two feet. Uh, so that's a strategy that I utilized. I think some of that anxiety that you were describing, those questions that you were asking and that anxiety that you were describing helps you prepare for it. So I think they're organically, if you can manage it in a way, that's anxiety doing its job said, are you prepared for this? And kind of pushing you to prepare for it and getting you ready. I think also being able to share it with another human being and get some feedback, having somebody that you can go to and say, I'm not, these are all of the things that my inner critic voice is telling me. Here's where I'm at. Help me with where I need help or tell me that I got it. And, and build the confidence there too. So I think that's a strategy that I used. It's just folks that I relied on support network-wise to say, here's my plan, here's what I'm going in with. I don't like it, I'm not ready for it. Um, give me some feedback and help me make it better. Mm -hmm. Getting outside of your head, mm -hmm. um, getting that voice out 
and, and practicing it with a small group or getting folks to react to where you're at has been helpful for me on some of the work that I lead. I think another thing that I was thinking about as you were, um, as uh, Charles, as you were talking about the questions that you had around um, how are people going to perceive this, right? How are, you know, how are the students going to be bored? Some of those things are things that are entirely outside of our control. And so recognizing that there will always be those, um, those elements as we're uh, teaching or facilitating or um, engaging in some kind of activity that is new to us, especially because I think that's probably often where we find that imposter syndrome is, is just things that are new to us, um, unfamiliar spaces. Um, and oh, go ahead. I have a question there. Okay. When you're done. And yeah. then, and recognizing that um, there will always be those things that are out of our control and we just um, maintain that confidence that, okay, I am going to do the best that I can with the information that I have and I can't control anything, any way that it's perceived by, by others. But what was your question? Yeah, to get outside of that, though, I think is a lot. And depending on what that group looks like, how many students are there, whether it's a, a presentation of eight or 12 or 50 or 100 or 1,000, mm -hmm. you want it to be a meaningful experience for everybody there. Mm -hmm. But you can't mm -hmm. guarantee that. Uh, so I think that takes some work and some practice to get past that. Yeah. I think when it's sharing with another human being, when you are sharing something with another human being and what is that reaction going to look like mm -hmm. is where I feel imposter syndrome. You talked about um, beginning, trying something new and mm -hmm. beginning. Um, I think it's around building up to where you are a subject matter expert. Some of the reading that I've been doing is on imposter syndrome is mm -hmm. this is your life's work. Right, oh, you've sure. been massaging yeah. for 14 years. You've been teaching yoga forever. You, I've been um, facilitating human-centered design workshops and conducting research and strategy workshops. But we still feel like we're not good enough and we don't know it all. We actually are the subject matter expert. And maybe the mm. what's new is the delivery method. Yeah. So you've been practicing and studying. Now you've transitioned into a teaching role but you feel like you should be great at it because you're a subject matter expert in that field. This is what you do. And I think that's kind of the, the shift that I see regularly is, okay, now, now you're sharing what you know with others mm -hmm. and then you begin questioning everything that you've done. <laughs> right? And I think that's, that's what makes it tricky because yeah. you are an expert at massage. You're an incredible massage therapist. Uh, you need to be told that regularly and believe that and then transition it into a way to say yeah i don't know everything but i have this experience i have 14 years of experience uh, similarly i think right when you do something new it's like you've been studying this you've been practicing this uh, but it's weird that's why that's why imposter syndrome is weird to me is it's subject matter experts in a particular field that are experience that usually that's experience that okay yeah. yeah that yeah that makes sense and that I think makes sense that when you get then in a 
uh, in a support, um, in a in a group of people that can support you in what you are doing and that that know that you're that you're good at this thing yeah. and tell you that um, can really be beneficial. Um, there is this sort of um, being being content and I and I just had a, a therapy session so I'm bringing in some of that um, there's this uh, being content with what you know right and presenting what you know but then there is that also that space of reaching and to find balance so that you're not in that extreme contentment which can lead to complacency or either in that extreme reaching which can lead to burnout and and feeling um that you're never going to be good enough right um where, where and when do you feel imposter syndrome do you <laughs> So I wrote some things down last night. <laughs> um, and I was thinking about this because I, I feel like in my professional, in my professional settings, I navigate through imposter syndrome a little bit easier. But when it, it's for me, I think, I question sometimes the goodness of my person. <laughs> like, am I actually a good person? Mm -hmm. um, and I do this when I start to, when, when I do things that are outside of how I want to be in the world. So for example, going way back, and this is the story that kind of came up for me, um, when I was thinking about imposter syndrome in your personal life, going way back to elementary school, there was these, there was this boy who was sort of like, he, he didn't smell great. And in elementary school, I was pretty well liked. Um, I think probably a lot of kids are right. Like you're not as judgmental as a kid. Um, but I remember being like pretty well liked among people and, um, but I still was always striving to be like, uh, to be even more well liked. And so I made this awful error in my little kid judgment of thinking, oh, I'm going to write this note. So we had this kid, Steven, who, did not smell great. We had this kid, Kenneth, who um, was really talkative, kind of goofy, awkward guy. And um, then there was this girl, Karina, who was just super, super sweet, okay? And these are the three characters in my story, um, in my real life story of me as a third, third grader. My teacher also loved me, okay? So we have these things all happening. I decided at the end of the class 
as me and some of my girlfriends were talking about, including Karina, although she wasn't saying much, we're talking about Stephen and like, oh my gosh, why does he smell so bad? Blah, blah, blah. And then I wrote this note that said, Stephen, you stink from Kenneth and left it on poor Stephen's desk at the end of the day. And then I left and then I came back and, uh, you know, the next morning. And of course there is drama. Who wrote this note? Karina knew that I wrote this and being the good person that she was told the teacher, hey, Jessica did this. And then I felt like a heel. I felt awful, like for a number of reasons. One, because this totally destroyed me as like, I'm not a good person. Um, this was like, it, it turned negative eyes from my teacher onto me and from other students onto me, even though there were some other students that knew that I did this and that I was going to do it. Um, and that we had all been talking about this, right? And so there are these moments in my life where I have not been kind that will sometimes, that will be my inner critic, right? That will, those moments of, you know, even though I was a kid, still like, and there definitely have been moments in adulthood too, but where those things will come back to me and be like, yeah, you're not actually as good of a person as you present yourself to be. Now, as I... Just a quick question. Though. Yes. If Steven is listening to this, did you, do you have anything to say? Thank you. Maybe he'll help on that. Apologize, um, that was not kind. And, and in fact, I was made to write an apology letter to Stephen and to Kenneth in, um, you know, at the time um, in third grade. So I experienced all of the spectrum of emotion and um, even then. And so those moments of being unkind will come back to me and sort of like haunt me in this way of like, oh, well, you're, you know, if I'm, if I'm going to try to do something good or, um, you know, whatever it is, you're not a good person. Um, you're mean, you're awful. And, um, and that I think is more for me, how imposter syndrome presents itself that, that's how I am a fraud, hmm. right? When in reality, we are simply human, right? We're human beings and we make mistakes and we have to, in order to move through that depth of imposter syndrome of, of that, you know, one of the things in the article and in there's a, we'll link this too. There's that, there's a TED, it's a TEDx talk um, with this gentleman who talks about the inner critic is facing it and even giving it some bit of space. Um, I think the gal who wrote the, the article also talks about that. Um, 
inviting that imposter in, right? Like facing that, facing the inner critic, facing that imposter and recognizing that it, that's just, it's what it is. Um, we are complex beings and we're not always going to make the best decisions in our lives, but that's not any reason to stop trying mm -hmm. to be our best yeah. selves, because I know that will hold me back. There's two things that happen. I'll either think I'm better off just not being here or um, aren't I, do I have to keep trying to improve myself? Aren't I good enough as I am? And it's, and that's that contentment versus the reaching and then bringing those things into balance of being able to be content with where you are, but rather and reaching for being your best self. Anything from the third grade that you want to get off your <laughs> Nothing like that. elementary school. Anything that's bothering you from elementary school stuff? No. Charles was Thank a very good kid. <laughs> no. <laughs> the only thing I can think of off the top of my head has really nothing to do with imposter syndrome. It just probably means I'm cursed for the rest of my life. <laughs> so now you got to share it. Yeah. yeah. So, so uh, when I was, I don't remember how old I was, but pretty young, uh, my brothers and I, we used to live by this hundred acre wood. It wasn't that big, but <laughs> it was this woods behind our house. It was very large at the time or it seemed like it, but you know, everything when you're that big, you know, seems that much bigger. Uh, my brothers and I were like pulling our little red rider wagon out in this on these paths through this woods. And I don't know why, but we decided to go off path a little bit and walk around. And we um, we came into this little clearing that we'd never been in before. And there was this little wooden cross in the center of it. And we're like, oh, what's this? So we like look at it and we're, we can't understand what the, what there's like words written on the cross, like, and we can't really figure out what it says. So we're like, I bet mom knows. So we like yank it up out of the ground and like put it, in, put it in the wagon, and like pull it home and like take it to mom. And she's like, where'd you get that? <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, we like take it. Well, we think we put it back in the right spot. <laughs> and like she had looked up, she had like a, it, it was German actually is what it turned out to be. Um, she had looked up some of it and it was, uh, it turned out it was just somebody's dog that they had buried. And like, it was just the name of the dog and like a date on it. But so, yeah, I, what do you call that? Removing headstones. It's not like grave robbing because I wasn't like digging up bodies, but. Probably not great. Uh, just karma. a misdemeanor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the karma police are probably going to come and get me. The statues of women. Probably out. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. I don't know. So <laughs> maybe something bad's going to happen. Who knows? It's just waiting. There's a ghost dog following me around. <laughs> it was some other. Great. Yeah. 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 
there was some other uh, information that we've in preparation for the show that talked about types of imposter syndrome. Uh, I'll read through these and maybe we can have a conversation about it. Um, the perfectionist. So always look for things to go perfectly. Slight errors are considered failure, which lead to feelings of shame and guilt. It sounds like maybe that's what you were describing. The one time you're going back to the one time that you weren't kind and that. I mean, that's the story that I'm telling here. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. there's yeah. been many instances, instances like that. But yeah, certainly perfectionism is, <laughs> is one of my uh, pros and cons. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. The superhero. So success is based on how many different roles they can play. Parent, partner, boss, etc. If they can't play them all perfectly, they feel like a fraud. Uh, the expert, maybe that's some of what you were describing, yeah. Uh, yeah. seeks to know everything in the face of even the slightest lack of knowledge about something, they feel like a failure. The natural genius, expect to meet high goals quickly and effortlessly. When things get difficult, they feel ashamed. And then the soloist needs to do things alone without help from anyone interprets needing help as a sign of their weakness and failure. Different ways to think about imposter syndrome based on maybe personality types or what we're striving to be, yeah, where sure. we get energy from. Do any of those resonate with you? Yeah, I mean, I think I've had um, probably a little bit of each of those at some point in my life. Yeah. Um, I know definitely the, um, expert uh for for my stuff with fox tech um the one with the different roles um i know i've had that in the past not so much right now um what were some of the others again there's the superhero oh yeah that's the superhero the one with you want to do all the roles correct um natural genius where you want to be good at something right away, but I already am, so that's fine. <laughs> I'm pretty good at that one. <laughs> and then the soloist, where you um, don't accept help easily. Uh, no, not that one so much. Um, I think I'm pretty good at looking for help uh, on some things. Uh, maybe not so much in the past, but uh, more in the last, like maybe decade or so. Mm -hmm. Got a little bit better with that. Um, I think the one that resonates the most with me, uh, probably that, well, I'll go with two. The two of them that resonate the most with me right at this moment is probably the perfectionist one. I always have a picture of the way I would like scenarios to go, um, situations, um, like my class, my interactions with people, uh, such and such. They kind of play out in my head uh, like a pre-screening before it actually happens. And then if it doesn't go exactly according to my plan yeah. or yeah, it, it, it's a little, it can get like disappointing. I can get a little frustrated at things. Um, and that that's kind of a whole, another thing where I'm like putting these expectations on people that, you know, are somewhat unrealistic at times. Um, but yes, those those situations can bring me down a little bit. Um, also, the uh, uh, 
the expert one, of course, uh, that's what we're talking about. Um, my work at the tech, you know, I feel like I, I should know all these things because I, I have been doing this for 14 years, but uh, it's just such a vast topic. You really, you really can't. And there's new stuff being um, invented every day. Mm -hmm. uh, so you can only have such a such a, you know you you have this little section of knowledge base and there's it's it's continuously growing uh i think with almost every field it's continuously growing too so uh, there's always going to be something new to learn yeah but, yeah yeah it's the learning mindset the mm -hmm. growth mindset it, it really I is think. yeah yeah beginner's mindset mm -hmm. um, you gave good examples of your massage practice and instructing that? Do you have other areas of your life where you feel imposter syndrome is present? Um, yes. Um, with uh, my relationships, sometimes I, I, I know I sometimes feel like, oh, you're not, you're not being as good of a friend as you could be, mm -hmm. or um, you're not, you're not paying attention enough. You're not doing as much as you could. Um, you're not, you're not good enough for that person. Like if, like if I'm out on a date with somebody or something like that. Um, uh, I know a, uh, one phrase that goes through my head a lot uh, in dating uh, scenarios is what, what can I do for this person better than what somebody else could do, right? Mm -hmm. I always like compare myself to other people. It's like, oh, well, somebody else can do this like, as good or better than I can. So why would this person even bother with me? Right. Um, you know, and then there's the, there's the usual, they don't find me funny. They're bored. You know, they're, they don't find me attractive. Um, so it's a, it's a lot of relationships uh, for me. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of um, just almost everyday things. Uh, you know, right when you get up, right when I get up out of bed, it's it usually, starts talking to me and telling me something oh. that I'm not, you know, just something as simple like, oh, you should, you should be doing this. Why are you wasting your time? You know, you've, you've got, uh, for massage, you have to do uh, 24 hours of continuing ed every two years. And um, I'm a little bit behind on it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it, it tells me why, why aren't you doing this? You know, you have to have this done by February. Um, and you're a little bit behind on it. Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? Uh, why are you wasting your time? So it, uh, the thing that I have found uh, recently and kind of reading more about imposter syndrome is just like the, the depth of how far this really goes. It just kind of like is pervasive in everything. Mm -hmm. um, all parts of your life that voice just talks to you and tells you things um, that uh, kind of bring yourself down or, you know, trying that self-doubt, that self-critic that we were yep. talking about before is always kind of always there. One of the things that you had mentioned is in comparison, which is a, an epiphany that I had last night too, was imposter syndrome seems to present itself most when we are comparing ourselves to another person correct right and it's not even that the other person is necessarily any better 
It's just how we perceive them Correct. to be, yeah. right? And there's likely bias in how we perceive. Yes. Oh, yeah. 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 Certainly. It gets to that TEDx talk that you talked about. It's dancing with your inner critic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How to manage it how to have those conversations, how to talk back to it and say, yeah, thank you. And I got it. Mm -hmm. um, and to say, you know, because it's always going to be there, I think. And it's mm -hmm. up to us then to figure out how to hold that conflict that, that you've mm -hmm. had both sides in your mind, the inner mm -hmm. critic saying something and you talking back to it or giving a response to it yeah. or behaving differently to it. Yeah. Having and, a conversation with it, I think was uh, one of the things they brought up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, th I think that's huge to recognize that it will always be there. And then mm -hmm. it's up to us to figure out how to manage or dance with, or, uh, yeah, talk with it um, and what we want to, to do from there. Um, versus kind of getting caught up in a spiral of it, yeah. of it being there and it's uncontrollable and we don't know how. Mm -hmm. So other other strategies, maybe that's how we how we wrap. It's just kind of thoughts on strategies on how to best deal mm -hmm. with um, experiences that we've had. Mm -hmm. um, I think because uh, when you had said spi you know uh, spiraling, uh, that's that's something that I'm I'm familiar with. And I think most people are, um, is recognizing when you're in that spiral, um, because sometimes it is difficult to not go there. Um, I think it is okay to, you know, of course we want to have strategies and ways to, to prevent going into that space. But then also having, looking at, okay, I am, even just saying, I am spiraling, or I am thinking this, or I am feeling this way um, when we're in it, so that we can maybe come out of it a little bit more quickly is one thing that I... Would say. I like it. Um, I ask myself, what if what if everything happens? What if everything turns out great? Like that's the opposite of it oh, for yeah, me. Is nice. all of these things that could go wrong? What if we spent more time yeah. in telling ourselves and asking ourselves and questioning about what if this turns out amazing? What will that feel like? Right. It, um, you've done all this preparation and work, and you've shared it with somebody. Mm what happens when you confidently step into this space and it's amazing and if you shift mindset from or at least be, spend time in each right the negative the critic what could happen the, the proponent the positive what it could look like what it could feel like and share space share equal space in those mm -hmm. spots and then you kind of get to choose mm -hmm. where you enter a new experience with it's a practice mm -hmm. um, i think it's a mindset shift for me uh, 
happens if everything works out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah and that's I'm a really see, like that. I'm like uh, seeing this pendulum. Yeah, that's what I was just thinking too. Right. <laughs> yeah, just going back and forth with it. And to know that they're both going to be there and they both can yeah. be there, right? The yeah. first thought then when you wake up can be a little bit of push or a shove. Of, These are the things that you need to do and you can say, thank you. And I got it. I have it written down and this is my plan. Right. And, uh, so I think that just the, the planning aspect to it. Yeah. Did you have any? I was just going to say that, um, and I've only really started doing this recently, is more like having a, like a, somewhat like you were talking about, um, expecting the things to go great. Uh, I just have a conversation with it basically saying, well, uh, what if things go wrong? Well, it's like, well, what if things go right? Or I, I try to like say the opposite to it. Um, if I start doubting like my qualifications and my teaching or something like that, I'll be, I'll say like, well, you know, I do have this experience and I, I do have something, I have something to share mm -hmm. with these students. Um, and if, if I don't know the answer, I am comfortable enough to say, I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I'm more than happy to look up the answer for the students and find it out. Um, I, even if we do it in class, I mean, everybody's got Google and a phone and we can like look it up and make it into a, a class learning exercise. Mm, um, that's good. Yeah. And that's, that's something where I don't have to talk <laughs> for a little bit, a little bit of time where we're all looking up stuff on our phones. And uh, yeah, so I just, I try to have more of a, a positive dialogue with it where it's kind of throwing bad things. It's, it's almost like you're, you're trying to comfort an old friend of yours who is just feeling really down on themselves. Mm -hmm. And they're saying, oh, I'm not good enough. And I'm, instead of it saying you are not good enough, mm -hmm. it's saying I'm not good enough. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Where it's talking to itself. Mm -hmm. um, and then you're having a dialogue with it saying like, well, you are, and here's the reasons why. I love so, that. I love that image. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's good. I think, I think we got to some places. Yeah, I think I so. I think we got to some deep places. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for being here. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you.